Think inertia? Sersha. There you go. But I in s- an Irish accent. Sersha. There you go. Sersha Ronan. Hey. Hey. Hey, Gib. What are you drinking there? Water. <laughs> How does that taste? Uh, it's great, actually. You know, water is life-bringing. Water is like the water of life. So maybe what, I am drunk. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Are you yeah. drinking? No, I'm drinking water. I told you this was a sober thing, man. Sober cast episode one. <laughs> the sober menace. We're recording in a different location today. Gabe, ask me why we're recording in a different <clears throat> location. Stephen, why are we here? Because today we have a very special guest. It is my wife, Allie. She's here with us. Say hi. Hi. Hey, Allie. I've been waiting my whole life for this. This moment? Yes, for this moment. For this moment. To do a podcast with my wife. A lot of pressure right now. My podcast debut, my true calling. Allie is a English literature grad, and she has one of the best minds that I know, which is why I married her. At least the best in the room. Yeah, probably. Mm. I mean... Debatable. For sure. I can speak English. That's a podcast in itself. The importance of English. Gabe's a really good writer. I believe that. Allie had something published today. So not only is That's she awesome. a fantastic mind, but she is an accomplished writer and stylist and photographer. And we see mm. all these films together, so I'm super happy to have her on today. I'm happy to be on. I'm really excited for the perspective she's going to bring. One of my favorite things about being an English major was crossbreeding film and literature. So my thesis was actually on a film and film a novel. What film was it? Tree of Life by what? Terrence Malick. What novel was it? And <laughs> Steinbeck's East of Eden. Really? That's my favorite book. It's, that's my favorite book. Yeah. Okay, I, that's another podcast. I think most people... Gabe just stole my wife. <laughs> most people... Keep most people who read that book in high school, I think, it becomes their favorite book, at least for a while. It's my favorite book that's not like weird fiction stuff. Yeah. It's because it's entirely grounded I've in I've been reality. telling you, man, you got to see Tree of Life. I've never read East of Eden, but she was comparing and contrasting kind of the similar themes between East of Eden and Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just from the, the little exi- I know. The existentialism and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Just from the little I, I know from the movie, I can see there are a lot of comparisons to the book. Mm. So I have to ask, why did you guys bring me on to this specific podcast? <laughs> no, no reason. Uh, I don't know, Allie. Why do you think? I, I'm asking. What, uh, what movie are we doing today, Gabe? We're doing Little Women. And we have... No experience. <laughs> no life experience as Little Women. So we brought on a, a woman. What does the little mean in Little Women? Allie? I think it's quite ironic because it's obvious that she uses little because it largely takes place, at least the first half of the novel, centered around their childhood. So they're mm. little women. It's before they're fully grown, mature women. Like young women. However, I think it's ironic that she uses that title because it, they really are grand women. Their mm-hmm. ambitions, their hopes, their dreams. Inspiring. 
they're a lot larger than life characters. And so the fact that she uses the word little to me is quite ironic. I don't know very much about Louisa May Alcott, and she's the author of the book, Mm -hmm. which is 19th century, right? 1868. Takes place in. It's older. Did she draw a lot from her own life experience into these characters? Two things. One, even though I was a literature major, this specific work of hers is actually not commonly studied within literature because it's Mm. left such a cultural impact, both the films throughout time as well as the novel itself. So I didn't actually study the novel in college. However, I do know that this story is largely autobiographical. Oh, yeah. Um, Joe is very much her identity character. And she grew up, I believe, with three other sisters. And we can get into it more, but the film itself, the director, Greta, she insisted on filming in Alcott's home that she grew up in. So it's actually filmed in her home in Concord, Massachusetts. Wow. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm so happy to have someone else today. (laughs) <laughs> a third person yeah so it's mm. not just us it's not just us thinking that we know something let's talk about uh do you want to do the uh let's do the thing analytic stuff <laughs> yeah the stats we need something catchy like stat stats cat stat stat time stat time it's stat time again time for your daily dose of stats <laughs> take it away gabe <laughs> this movie little women was made on a modest budget of 40 million dollars what was Noah Bombach's budget? 18. Yeah. They were going to bed every night. She's like, I got more money than you. A uh, little bit of background. We briefly addressed it on Marriage Story. Yeah, which was two episodes ago. Mm. Greta Gerwig and Noah Bombach. They are... Partners? Partners. And they have a child. Mm-hmm. They are partners. But they've been they together for a decade mm. now. Been together for a long time. Very cool. And it's interesting to see their collaborative development mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. years because they met each other on one of Bombach's films, Greenberg. But she's worked with him many times over the years, and then she started directing again with Lady Bird. Mm. But they actually co-wrote Frances Ha, which she was the star and he directed her in. Back to stat time again. Let's talk about Little Woman. What is the movie about? The synopsis? Sony released this as the synopsis for the movie. Okay, I'm going to read what Sony thinks is the synopsis of Little Woman. What they think it is? Joe March reflects back and forth on her life telling the beloved story of the March sisters. Four young women, each determined to live life on their own terms. Based on the book by Louisa May Alcott. Would you agree with that, Allie? That is a um, underwhelming synopsis. <laughs> it really doesn't And this is why Sony should be bought by Disney and Marvel. Sony doesn't have a good track record for Gosh, recent memory. they're bad. They make bad decisions. Yeah. Like that whole time they tried to steal Spider-Man away. Please, Bob. <laughs> Please buy Sony. Don't let Sony take it away. <laughs> don't, don't take my Spider-Man away. <laughs> Allie, do you have anything to add to the synopsis? Well, we'll get into it more. We keep going to stats we're, we're, and then... We're gonna, let's stats. Get, stats. I worked hard on these stats. Fast stats. Quick stats. I'm going to do quick stats. It was nominated for six Academy Awards. Wow. I'm going to list them. Best picture. Okay. Best adapted screenplay. All right. Best original score. Nice. <laughs> best costume design. Best lead actress. That's what it wrote. And best supporting actress. <laughs> uh, Gabe. Yeah. What was the budget? <laughs> well, Stephen. We, we already fun. talked about yeah, this. We did. <clears throat> Gabe. Welcome to the podcast. Gabe. Hey, Gabe. <laughs> this is the worst. I just showed up. <laughs> yeah. Good to have you back. I've been mentally absent up until now. Gabe, how much did it gross 
in a worldwide sense. It's just so Allie knows. This is what it's like every day. Yeah, lots of bantering. We try to make an outline, and then we just, it's like a plane that's mm. slow, <laughs> slowly crashing. Well, no, okay, how much did it make worldwide? The movie, up to now, it released on Christmas, so it's only been out a month. It's it been out made... over a month, by the way. Cause... All right. You can nickel and dime me there, Stephen. I'm gonna. It's made $150 million since Christmas Day. So what is... I? So it's made 110 more than they spent. Is that good? I'm I'm not sure in terms of 110 million. <laughs> Quick math. Budget. <laughs> take the, 150 the million. Is that that's pretty good. Subtract that's good. 40. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not. It's, it's good for a film like this. It's not Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. but it's so it's, it's like good, it's basically right, more right. than tripled its money. Yeah, I think is Sony good. is pleased with Greta Gerwig's performance in producing this movie. Oh yeah, do you want to talk about Stat direct, Attack? Who, so who directed this movie? Anyone know? Yeah. Greta. Let's, let's talk about Greta Gerwig. Greta has made a name for herself, starting really with Lady Bird, which came out in 2017. Yeah. I didn't write much about her because this was only her third feature film, her only second really big one. Mm-hmm. And but she's done a lot of acting over the years, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like <laughs> listing all of them. Okay, where but, where yeah. was she born, Gabe? In Sacramento, actually, mm. real close. Aren't to you us. from That's Sacramento? That's where Lady Bird takes place. Yeah. So she's clearly drawing a lot from her own life. What year was she born? It was 1983. Okay, so not only did she direct Lady Bird that came out in 2017. Which was, was critically acclaimed except by Steven. Oh. Got him. It, that movie was interesting. I didn't personally like it because I just I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. Like I, the characters and what happened in the movie. I just, <laughs> I just didn't like the movie. <laughs> Um, but but it, I have to say it was well directed and well written. I think it was very clear, even if you didn't like the content of the movie, like you said, that it's a very well made movie. And yeah. Greta Gerwig clearly has learned a lot from her acting years, and she's turning that very well into this directorial mm-hmm. style. And she's very adept at telling the story and developing these characters. Yeah. And I think that's why Little Women has done so well. Mm-hmm. Who is the director of photography in this movie? Uh, I'm going to butcher this name. He's a Frenchman, Yorick Lassou. Lassa? Lassou? Lassox. I think it's O. It's S-A-U-X. Yorick Lassau. And the photography in this movie was, was cool. It wasn't Roger Deakins. I love the cinematography in this movie. In, and I think... In Little Woman, not yeah. Lady Bird. That's why I was interested to see what this guy had done before. And I'm a big fan. And what had he done before? Sure. I'll answer that question. It was <laughs> High ahead, Life. Go ahead. He directed High Life. <laughs> Earlier this year, which was very cool. What was that movie about? Uh, it was kind of an existential art house film. It was sort of a descent into madness with a lot of sexual over un, over and undertones, now that I think about it. And who was the main character in that film? It was Robert Pattinson. And were you alone in this theater when you saw it? No. Who is the editor of Little Woman? It was Nick. Well, this is another weird one. <laughs> it's Nick Hoy. <laughs> H-O-U-Y. Hui. And what has he edited? He did mid-90s, and he worked on Lady Bird with Greta as well. Let's talk to Alia for this one. Who is the composer of Little Woman? The composer was Alexandre Desplat. I think that's Alexandre Desplat. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but he did Isle of Dogs, which I enjoyed by Wes Anderson. Shape of Water, also great. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. He gets around. His contribution to this film, I think, was really necessary and drove the, the tone of the film. Yeah. The score was wonderful. And who are the actu- actors There's in this so film? There's so many actresses. Let's, I'm going to name them. 
Saoirse Ronan, who's also from Lady Bird, so she's collabed with Greta Gerwig before. Florence Pugh, that's that's Gabe's girl. Is it? Is it? Pugh? He wishes he wishes he was. Uh, and it's not true. A in, Pugh. A, in a relation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Pun of the day. What else has she done this year, Gabe? Uh, Midsummer, which we have often said mm. should have been nominated for best mm-hmm. picture feature at the Academy Awards. She's on the up and Emma Watson. Uh, she's a newcomer. Um, she's she's good in this film though. Yeah. Eliza Scanlon. You know she was the girl from yes. Sharp Objects. She was she, so she good was in, in Sharp, Sharp Objects. Objects. I and, I knew I knew her from somewhere. And she was really good in this as well. She was mm-hmm. actually my favorite character. Such a different character though that to the point where you don't realize it. I think she had the hardest job. She did to bring so much life into that character yeah. that really doesn't have as much to do. Yeah. As you know, at least. Joe and Amy. Mm-hmm. And then surprisingly, Laura Dern, uh, or unsurprisingly because she's in everything she, lately. Yeah, she won the Globe and the SAG for Supporting Actress. She, yeah, she's nominated for Supporting yeah, in for the Awards. Uh, and then Timothy Chalamet, you've heard of him. You've he's seen a, him. He's been around. You might like him. He was in Lady Bird too, right? He was, yep. And then a uh, little actress we like to call Meryl Streep. Chris Cooper, who played Norman Osborn in Amazing Spider-Man 2 forgot about that and then randomly bob odenkirk <laughs> the most unexpected is, cameo is also in this film i didn't know how to feel about that but also like as you a, have, you as have an saul again all-star cast like you have yeah. to acknowledge that especially Ensemble. in comparison to the earlier rendition of little women the one right before this one also an all-star cast at the time and so it's interesting to see you know you have this amazing cast of women but also amazing men too who have come on board onto this film in terms of like timothy chalamet huge actor right now he sort of speaks for himself and chris cooper kind of flies under the radar a lot but he brought a lot of depth so let's talk about little women did i finish my anecdote at the beginning when i was talking about saoirse went on Colbert. No. And no. she was she was laughing because in Lady Bird, Timothy Chalamet uh, denies her. It was mm-hmm. the unrequited love. Oh, and and she then in this him. one, <laughs> Saoirse Ronan got the opportunity to to dump it's or true. to not, you know, return Timothy yeah. Chalamet's love. Unrequited love. Unrequited. I don't know. I mean, should we keep this one spoiler free ish? Or I mean, it, it this is like a the book has been around for ages. For I don't a lot think of, it needs to be spoiler free. Yeah. Let's talk about which characters die in this film. Beth dies? <laughs> She's quoting friends. Uh, Eliza Scanlon and how good yeah, yeah. she was. And, and that was a gut. Like, I didn't know. Oh. I had no history with. Gabe had never seen or really known anything there about There have been several renditions of Little Women over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd never read the book and I'd never seen any of mm-hmm. those other series or movies. Gabe is really uneducated. A lot of people haven't read the book or seen a lot of the earlier renditions. And yet this film, it doesn't need to lean on those things. It really lends itself to its own story. And you'll see that as Greta, she puts her own stamp on this film and brings her own voice to this film while still respecting Louisa May Alcott's original story and intent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She had a really interesting approach with the nonlinear storytelling in the movie. And I don't I think the 90s was more straightforward as well. Yeah. The novel came out in 1868, which is post-Civil War. The whole first half of the novel, which takes place during their childhood, is during the Civil War. So you're finding the country during its bloodiest time, 
And there's this tension, of course, between South versus North, but that's mirrored in the tension that Greta brings with the nonlinear storytelling. So you have the past and the present juxtaposed against each other throughout the film, which brings this presence, this really interesting and I think brilliant way of telling this story as it's never been told before. Mm-hmm. The novel's told in a linear fashion, and I believe most of the film renditions are as well. So mm-hmm. the way that she tells this story is super intentional. And Stephen actually pointed out even the visual aspect to the storytelling of the past is is filled with warmth. Um, just in the lighting and yeah, it seems like it's always like golden hour. And yeah, that, yeah, exactly the tone and then the present is filled with this coolness which mm. she's doing intentionally to bring up the tension between girlhood and womanhood what it means to be a child and a young woman during that time and being in this household when the camaraderie and the kindred spirits and growing up with these sisters and then what it means to grow up to let go of some of these things and the challenges that these different characters face Mm -hmm. whether it be poverty Mm -hmm. uh, career struggles romance etc and i wanted to bring up a quote from greta in regard to this um she said that Often the narrative we tell girls is that childhood is the time of bigness and ambition and wildness and sisterhood and camaraderie, and that this utopia ends when you become a woman. It's like, party done, it's over. I've talked to lots of women who say they've only read the first half of the book and they never liked the second half because it was about adulthood. But we cannot be saying that girlhood was the time that you were free and then everything else is just settling. I feel so deeply that we have to give them adult adventures that match what they had as girls. Hmm. I thought that it was really something to note in that nonlinear storytelling mm-hmm. and how she tells this story because it's very unique. Yeah. But I don't What did you guys think? You could tell, especially towards the end, when Beth is becoming very mm-hmm. ill. Mm-hmm. And though it cuts pretty deliberately several times, right when she's passing between Sersha waking up, and it's almost like you can't tell if she's dreaming or not. And it might even be unclear to someone who's not familiar with the story because they use the same actors for each timeline. Mm-hmm. How it cuts, like you said, from that warm past timeline into Sersha. And in that past timeline, Beth is recovered from her illness. And in the in the present timeline, Sersha wakes up and it's cold and it's kind of abrasive mm-hmm. and sudden. And then she's looking over and you expect Beth to be there because she was just there and then she's no longer there anymore. So yeah, it is a very cool way to approach the storytelling there. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I was, I've talked to a couple of people and some, some of the people I've talked to had watched this film and they confess to not really being able to understand or follow the film. And to me, and maybe this is because I'm used to film and and how things are colored and stuff like that and the intention behind every shot, but it became very apparent very quickly, oh, the future or the or the present is the cooler picture and then the past is the very very warm picture. And by golden hour I kind of am referring to the type of lighting that sunset almost like there's like a sunset outside reflecting on everything that's going on. And it was like that in every single shot. It was colored that way. I don't even think it was colored that way. I think it was lit that way, which says something about the DP. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I thought not only was that a brilliant lighting move, but it was a brilliant directing move. It's kind of like Greta is commenting on Joe, who is the main character in this film, and the perspective is through her eyes. 
that everything that Joe is going through, she's kind of idealizing the past and everything is lit in this this kind of um, surreal golden way as as they were, you know, these girls. And yeah, I mean, childhood, it's ethereal, yeah. especially where it's set and the things these girls go through. They haven't they haven't really experienced true they're pretty protected. Suffering. Yeah, yeah, they're very protected and they're enjoying like Joe's the writer and Amy's the artist and Meg is theatrical and Beth is this this sweet dove character. Well. Pardon me. Beth has her music also. Beth has her music. Yep, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, they're just they're enraptured in this ethereal world of childhood and Joe mm-hmm. even said as much. Sersha's character, I think after Beth passes away in the present day timeline. Mm-hmm. And she's breaking down to her mother, Laura Dern, and she's talking about, I thought we could make this time go on forever. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can see it too when she's begging yeah. Emma Watson's character yes. not to marry her husband. Yes. She's on her knees. She's like, please, what can I do to yeah. take you away from this so we can live in this, you know, yeah. sort of a fantasy world forever? Yeah. And then once she finally comes to terms with it, you can't do that, that you can't keep putting off a maturity in your future. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think she said she turned down Timothy Chalamet's character mm-hmm. when he confessed his love to her is because mm-hmm. she didn't want to move on. She wanted to keep yeah. living on that. I believe she literally says to Emma uh, Watson's character, oh, I guess this means childhood's over or something yeah. to that. To that, yeah. And who is Emma Watson again? Meg, how did you guys feel about them using the same actors for both timelines? Because that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people had difficulty... Mm-hmm. It, I thought it worked in the nonlinear storytelling. I mean, this has been mentioned before. I don't think we've said it here tonight, but um, how the the film starts kind of introducing Amy and Laurie, and she kind of sees him while she's in England, mm-hmm. and it starts off posing the question of their relationship, yeah, and then getting into the past. After that, it mm-hmm. kind of makes you subconsciously want to start rooting for their relationship over Joe and Laurie's relationship. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really, really nice touch as well. Hmm. In the 1994 version, that movie uses all the same actors except Amy. Oh, really? Because Amy's the youngest. And so she's pretty young. She's uh, played by Kirsten Dunst as a child in that version. And then they have an entirely new actress to play her as a woman. And I actually think that detaches you from her character. Whereas in this film, you're with Florence Pugh as Amy the whole entire time. And you're emotionally involved with her as a character. And I was reading, I was I was reading different commentaries and whatnot. And apparently out of all the four March sisters, Amy is the least liked. She's, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, she's typically viewed as the uh-huh. most selfish, materialistic. Mm-hmm. But Greta actually a lot's more screen time to Amy than in past renditions, which is, I think, very rhetorical. You see her selfishness and immaturity in certain scenes, like when she burns Joe's writing. She's certainly a child. She's and maniacal. She's, yeah. the, the one that sticks out to me is when she cements her foot in the bucket. Yeah. I thought that, that was hilarious. Yeah, I'm s- making Lori a mold of my foot. <laughs> she's hilarious. I mean, she's yeah. you're really drawn to Amy in this film, but then you also see that she's not two-dimensional. You, you understand that she's just misunderstood because mm-hmm. then there's one scene when it's supposed to be the present day and she's with Laurie and Laurie's kind of expressing that he'd want to go for her and she says no no like I've been second to Joe and everything mm-hmm. not this too so she's always felt like she's been second she's always compared herself to her older sister 
and she's never felt good enough. And I think that this film explores how Amy is misunderstood as a character, gives you a little bit more sympathy for her than maybe in, in past renditions. And Florence really brought a lot of life into that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that she she being nominated, it just says a lot, I think, about how much her character was loved in this film. Mm-hmm. It was funny when she was throwing a fit outside early on because she's supposed to be 13 in the right. original mm-hmm. time or the yeah. older timeline. Yeah, and yeah. she's in elementary school with younger kids and you're kind of wondering what she's doing there. But then she gets suspended or something, sent home for the day because she's drawing a caricature of her mm-hmm. teacher. And you can see her pouting and throwing mm-hmm. a fit. And I really believed her. If you can yeah. suspend disbelief yeah. for a moment, knowing that she's in her early 20s, yeah. she was really playing the role of that yeah. age bracket pretty well. And then yeah. to see her contrast that with present day. Yeah, form. because yeah. she's acting like a like a 12-year-old, like a 13-year-old. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. acting wonderful. Great actress. Yeah. One thing also that Greta did with the character of Amy, she gave her a very um, distinct voice in that, like, there's one scene with her and Laurie towards the end when they're in France and they're talking about marriage. Yeah. This is actually not in the book, but Greta, who is actually really pays homage to the text and uses almost entirely the novel's original dialogue or Louisa's journals and letters, Mm -hmm. but... Greta actually inserts this monologue herself, and it's when Amy is talking to Lori. She's basically saying she's not ashamed to marry rich, that as a female, she can't earn a living on her own, and whatever she does earn would belong to her husband, including her children, which would be determined property of his. So she says, quote, so don't you tell me that marriage is not an economic proposition because it is, she says. So rather than a materialistic view of marriage, she actually has a realistic view of marriage during the 19th century. That was one of my favorite actual quotes from the film. I thought Mm -hmm. that was really smart Mm -hmm. because I was like, yeah, that I was like, kind of, I was like, Damn, Amy. That scene was powerful. I I think that was the one where she was drawing, right? Or she was painting and Mm Lori came in Mm -hmm. and he sits down and he's kind of being flippant Mm -hmm. after the scene where he had kind of stood her up Mm -hmm. because he's that sort of a flippant guy. Yeah. But when Florence, as Amy, looks at him deadpan and he's sitting there and she delivers that monologue about marriage and sort of the role of a woman, what's expected, how you can make money and Mm -hmm. live as a woman Mm -hmm. in that society. Which was a a heavy theme within all the girls' lives. They all all at some point it was addressed how like each one of these women needed to make money somehow and have a role in but as in adults the, yeah but yeah. specifically the way Greta wrote it and the way Florence spoke it right mm-hmm. there was a maturity that was exhibited there that mm-hmm. was even I think above and beyond her sisters Joe and Meg yeah and Beth had passed away I think or she was yeah. going to so she didn't have a lot of chance to say something like that. But Amy really exhibits how she's grown and she's matured mm-hmm. in a way, I think. that, And she comes to understand the world in a way I don't think her sisters have gotten to. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree with you. I just love the way that Greta wrote Amy. Also, Florence Pugh's deliverance of the role. I mean... Yeah. I think she's my favorite. Yeah, I felt personally that she stole the show. I mean, Joe's supposed to be the main, and she is the main character. Yeah, she was great. Was, she was, was great. great. But Florence Pugh just was, I was just so drawn to her. And I think the rest of audiences were probably most drawn to her too, from what I've heard. And it was really heartbreaking too when Sersha finally comes around and she understands mm. that you have to move on, you have to grow up. 
but Amy and Lori are now together mm-hmm. and that she's missed her opportunity and so mm-hmm. she has to come to terms with that. Well, yeah, watching this movie, one of the, the most annoying characters for me was Lori. Yeah. And I, I was like... <laughs> I liked Lori. I liked Lori. Okay. I, I thought he was annoying. I think you would feel differently if you've seen Christian Bale in the 90s and how yeah. his Laurie was a real yeah. actual kind of a, a tool. And Laurie in this one just feels like he he's lost. He hasn't found his way. Yeah. And because and that's, of the life. That's, that's what was so annoying for me to watch. And so I went and asked some people who had actually read this book. I was asking them, was was Laurie like that? Was he kind of like a pansy? Like Because <laughs> he was just like floating around and just kind of annoying. And there's the interaction with Amy at the party when he's drunk and you know he's with the two other yeah. girls and he makes a total ass of himself yeah but it's important to remember and i'm thinking about this more after i've seen it he reminded me a lot of you in that way hey thank you <laughs> i've gone to parties myself <laughs> really yeah and tell I, me about that no. were but you it, were you ever crowned prom king no i wasn't but it's important to remember also that he was probably still reeling from his own heartbreak because joe had essentially turned him down absolutely and that was six or seven years after that had happened or maybe not that many seven years i believe yeah but he i don't think and i think even when he married amy he still confesses to joe that i Mm -hmm. you know i still love you Mm -hmm. i've always loved you and i will always love you there are different interpretations both from the book and from the other series Mm -hmm. um, where laurie stands in his Mm -hmm. relationship with amy and joe but it's interesting to think that he may just really want to be a part of this family enough that he doesn't really love amy in the same way that he would still love joe interesting i love that no i well i was going to bring up i i really like that point that does he just want to be a march sister so badly that wants to be a part of a family like that no exactly and that's one thing i want to bring up well i wanted to bring up gender in this movie but specifically laurie i feel like he is the spectator role he is the eyes in which we as viewers get to view the march family yeah he wants in on the club and you have that scene of actually all four girls they're actually dressed as men and they're kind of you know chuckling and 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 i don't know if they're acting or something like that and they're debating like oh do we let Lori in on the club and some of them are no some of them yes and then finally like okay we'll include Lori and he pops out and then they're all kind of laughing but ironically he becomes one of the boys you know because yeah. they're all dressed up as boys yeah he wants so badly to be a part of that march camaraderie that sisterhood and so I think you bring up a really interesting point how wholesome is his love for either girl for Joe or that's true for Amy yeah, I didn't think is that. he just I think he really did love joe i think yeah i think so and i think he loves amy but it's not quite the same it's very different because they they had chemistry as well but it seems like florence as amy is completely sold on Lori by the end of the movie she's she's come around and she's happy it is where it is now yeah Mm -hmm. and they all seem happy at the end right joe finds her european guy the teacher from the school make has her husband which they are on hard times but they're happy Mm -hmm. and then everyone seems to be coming together at the end it's one of those things where yeah it addresses like these women do find love however greta brings up the fact that you know when joe is with the publisher and she says you know this isn't how i want it to end she's Mm -hmm. she's not supposed to end up married 
and the publisher says, no, like she needs to be married. That's actually historical. Louisa May Alcott, that's not how she wanted the story to end. But she also had to write that ending for the audience at the time. Right. And so the fact that Greta Weeb sat into the film is really important. I wasn't sure if it was meant to be ambiguous, mm. if whether or not she really ended up marrying him. So from what I've um, heard in interviews, it was actually an interview with Emma Watson, it's supposed to be up to interpretation. Mm. So you're supposed to be presented with these different alternative paths that Joe also in turn, Louisa, may have wanted for this ending. They show the scene afterwards where they're all together and she's opened her school that Meryl Streep's character, Mm -hmm. their great aunt, has left them. That guy that she was falling in love with at that Mm -hmm. point in time is still there. But they don't really address whether or not right. they got married. Right. So I think that was a nice way to yeah. give Joe's Open-ended. character that agency. That was that ambiguous ending that I was kind of comparing to Parasite. Mm. In that yeah, I love saying, that. It's saying one thing and showing you something different. I think that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. A perfect ending. Well, it also pays homage to Louisa's legacy, right? Yeah. right? yeah. You get multiple endings. You get two endings. Yeah. You know, it's like you get two birds with one stone type of yeah. thing. Two ladybirds? Full circle. I hope Louisa May Alcott was successful in her time. She was. Apparently, when the book came out in 68, it had the equivalent popularity as Harry Potter. What? It was wildly (laughs) well-received by both men and women. That's cool. People just awaited for the next... For the next year, for um, the, the second half to yeah. come out, yeah. which was the whole book is, oh, so she is released Little it Women in two parts. There were, there were she two released sequels. it in, in two parts. Yep. And then there were two sequels as well. Little Women two, more women. Not as successful. No, they they weren't as good. It's hard to follow up something that yeah, strong. Exactly. <laughs> but real quick, back to gender. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the fact that the novel was set in a domestic landscape, let alone the film, it's called Little Women, also set in a domestic landscape, that men would have as big of a response to it. Yeah. And it's taking place during the Civil War. Not at the battlefront, you're in the home of the March sisters. Um, and Amy Pascal, the producer, which I know you guys are more familiar with than I am. She also produced Spider-Man. There you go. Which one? <laughs> Um, a lot of them. She actually said, quote, how can men not identify with the process of writing, with the process of being an artist? Why would it be different for a woman than it would be for a man? There are a zillion stories about wishing you didn't have to grow up from Puff the Magic Dragon to Huck Finn to Peter Pan. Every story about a boy is about the boy not wanting to become a man and having to become a man. This is a story about a woman not wanting to give up all the things she had in childhood, yet having to do it. It's the same. I thought that was a really interesting um, thing that she had to say. Yes, it's about girlhood and and becoming a woman in adulthood, and it's giving girls, it's giving women a voice to speak to what it's like for them. But it's also universal, I think, at the same time. So she's saying, this is a film, this is a story that should be relatable to everyone. And so I was going to ask you guys, as as male viewers, how you felt. First of all, I want to say I really like Amy Pascal. She's the Sony representative. And that's oh. why she was involved with Little Women is because she's the the Sony producer. She's kind of like the Kathleen Kennedy. What Kathleen Kennedy is a Star Wars, but for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a great question, Allie. Um, I'll let Gabe answer first. Oh, good. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> like you said, I think my favorite stories, there's still ones where you can interchange those characters with any sort of person. Mm-hmm. And so while there are definite inspiring messages specifically for women, I think, in this movie, mm-hmm. 
the fact that this is at its heart a coming of age and it's about growing up, mm-hmm. it really makes it universal in that way. And that's probably why one of the reasons you said it was so successful 240 years ago is because those themes are timeless and they're universal. And these people you can relate to. I'm thinking of movies that have just come out in the last couple of years where, at least in recent memory, completely different kind of movie. But there's a, a film called Annihilation that was a full female cast it's sci-fi, it's weird, it's mm-hmm. got some horror stuff. It's a full female cast, but the themes are universal. And regardless of who you are, where you come from, these are lessons you can learn from and you can apply to your own story. Mm-hmm. That being said, I told Stephen, watching Little Women, I fell in love like four times throughout the course of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I love that you said that. <laughs> because these, these are amazing women in their own right, and each of them were unique and they had their own mm-hmm. gifts. And even if they weren't, if they were not as distinguishable, mm-hmm. that doesn't make their stories any less impactful. Mm-hmm. It was fun to sit in on their lives over the course of seven years and see mm-hmm. them grow up. I don't know if this will, will directly answer your question, but this movie was one of my favorites, I think, out of the ones that were nominated. Um, it has something really special about it, and especially in the way that it was directed. I think Yali was right when she said Greta Gerwig had her own message to tell with this movie. Yeah, every actress... Owned it. Owned it and played the role extremely well. Mm. The The characters felt so, so real to me. Mm-hmm. I was kind of going into this with, with a little bit of familiarity, but I also was going in blind a little bit. I hung out with my little sister a lot, and I remember being really young and just kind of running around the house with my sister, and this movie kind of captured that feeling for me in a very real way that I don't see very often in a movie. I really enjoyed this as a movie, Mm-hmm. regardless of gender, like regardless of the fact that it yes. had an all-woman cast and was directed by a woman. I thought it was just an amazing movie. And I'm really sorry, Greta, for not liking Lady Bird, but I loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think this movie would have been the same, I think, if it was no. directed by a man. Her stamp is on it. If you were oblivious to who the if film industry know. and who was involved, it's a great story. It's a, it's a, it's great, a great film. Great movie. It's a great movie. Every movie I ever liked growing up that was about a young boy that becomes a man or is, is seeking his manhood, just kind of like you were just describing, like Flight of the Navigator or some other 80s movie that is about a young boy going into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So they're all directed mm-hmm. by guys. And I very rarely see a film where it's the same thing but with women. And it was also directed by a woman. Booksmart was another great example with Olivia Wilde. And Eighth Grade was a good example of this, but it was also directed by a guy. It was following a young girl in eighth grade, and it was it was about you know what it meant to be a young 12, 13-year-old girl in eighth grade. And that perspective is a thing that I'd like to see more of, mm-hmm. that I have never seen before. Good, healthy, actual portrayals of women and womanhood by women. It's different seeing a story like this about a young girl directed by a man than it is with a woman. I think it would have been a lot better if it was directed by mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig or, you know, mm-hmm. another someone that really had a voice to, to speak to here. Mm-hmm. I think despite all the problems that plague Hollywood and the film industry, I think those sorts of movies are starting to be made more and more. Yeah. Apparently, Greta had a very mystical relationship with Louisa. Really? While writing the source film. material, mm-hmm. like what you mean, like she channeled she her. She <laughs> referred to her as Louisa the entire course of making the film, and hmm. she just the different interviews that I've seen. 
she yeah kind of channels her voice and her presence her energy her energy yeah if you will like into like the making of the film and i know that the story itself was extremely influential on greta and actually inspired her in her early writing and um it seems like she filmmaking. Known that material for a long time Yes. Yeah. Um, she'd probably wanted to make this movie since she'd started making movies. Yeah, exactly. I think she says something like, oh, this this film has been 30 years in the making. Yeah. Because she's been inspired by this story and by Louisa for this long. Well, I think she's going to go on to do great things. Louisa or Greta? No, <laughs> Greta. Louisa, too, if she keeps commuting with her. But no, Greta specifically, I think she's going to, if this is any indication, she's clearly very skilled at the craft yeah. and she's got a lot of ideas i mean yeah. i'll definitely watch whatever she does yeah even if it's ladybird the sequel or something yeah last thing i wanted to say is what a cathartic visual experience it is i mean the details of the production design the costume design the music the fact that it was filmed in the original home i mean it's the crew did an exceptional job those all those environments all those interiors were Amazing. And I didn't know that it was Louisa May Alcott's own home, but it totally makes sense because it seemed like those br- those buildings and those rooms yeah. were the, actually the ones from the 19th century. I mean, Louisa was there during the, yeah. during the filming. In a mystical way. <laughs> she was there also, literally. I love films set in that time period in New England. I, I think it's there's something really special about them. Mm-hmm. Lighthouse. There it is. There it is. I said mm. it. <laughs> we hit a lighthouse mention for the day. Trust me. We're, we're going to do one, but it's not nominated for the picture. So thanks, Academy. Rob. Does anyone else have anything to say about this movie? I think we've talked it to death. I think I have we to edit it. a lot of it. We <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Big thanks, Allie, for being a part of this one. It's my pleasure. And I hope we do this again soon because yeah. it's good to have a third voice. Yeah, it's, great, it's great to have someone else that's... <laughs> maybe the next female cast yeah. movie I'll be invited on again. <laughs> no, God. Hopefully sooner than that. Wow, that, that, was a, that was a hit. Yeah, I am wounded. It's okay. I also am just interested in the content. So. It's great. Out of all the films that were nominated and all the films that we saw together, this was the one you went and saw without me. Yeah. Really? And it's because she had, she particularly sister, has a passion for era films. Well, I, I enjoy era films and, and historical films. Yeah, but historical uh, films. Honestly, out of, I can relate to you both. Well, Lighthouse was one of my other favorite films and the other Florence Pugh Midsummer. film, Midsummer. I love that film. So those two. She's got good taste. Uh, let's ask Allie the question. Oh, do you think this will win Best Picture? All right. Steven, you want to ask her the question? Do you think that Little Women will win Best Feature Film? No, I don't. And I'm actually, it's unfortunate that it was also not nominated for Best Director. Because I think Greta uh, did was it not? a, a really point, yeah. fabulous job yeah. in directing this yeah, film. Yeah, she should have. I think she should have been nominated. Yeah, that's a bummer. She got adapted screenplay, though. That's I, great. That's she great. She wrote it, so that'll yeah, be yeah. cool if she... Out of all the films I've seen this year, I think this one was one of my favorite directed movies. Yeah. Which it was, it was a shame. You're right that she wasn't nominated. I think she definitely deserved it. Mm-hmm. So now that we know that, what do you think would win? You know, I feel like 1917 will win. That's just my gut. That's my feeling. And then thirdly and lastly, if you had your druthers, which would you like to win? See, would it be Little Women? I'm you can really, just say Parasite. I liked Parasite <laughs> a lot. Even, even if... I think I might choose Parasite. Yes. Got her. 
Okay, the thing is, I loved you're Little Women. You're going to hell, yeah. I love the Little, little Women. Little Women, can, uh, you know, I connected with the most, and it, it's one of those films I think I can watch over and over again. Yeah, I agree. But it's not to say I think it should win Best Picture. I think it was a great picture, but I, I don't know about it. I think winning. I would give her adapted screenplay for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. she did such a nice mm-hmm. job. But I, yeah, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd like to see Parasite win as an, you know, international film. Thank you, Allie. Um, but I also love 1917 too. So you think 1917 could win just as much as Parasite could win? I feel like 1917 will win over Parasite, but that's just my gut. The only reason I think, listen, the only reason I think Parasite, I keep awards momentum. Awards Awards momentum. momentum. (laughs) It's dominating the international awards circuit. Like it's not even close. You know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to which was the better picture. And I think 1917 definitely is the better picture. But Parasite was like Bong Joon-ho's. Probably his magnum opus. Hey, there's magnum opus of the day. No, you said it. That's your second time saying magnum it. Magnum opus. <laughs> magnum opus. Well, that was I'm regarding done. Steinbach. Ready for the East of Eden podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you should read that book, Stephen. I know. Uh, I've been telling you I to think read it would it. be good for you. I think you should do a lot of things that would be good for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, okay. you want to go there, Gabe? <laughs> no, we don't need to go there. Allie, what would you leave them? What would you leave the audience with on this fine day? Of- Should they go see Little Women? I highly recommend going to see Little Women. It's fantastic on the big screen. It's full of visual delight, and you will surely find joy in seeing this film. It's heartwarming. A film for all ages, all genders. Yeah. Fun fact, Gabe and Steven and me we're in multiple films together. Oh, no. Here's where we end the podcast. No. <laughs>